Good morning, church family. It's wonderful to see all of you here today. As today, we will be starting our fourth week in the book of Acts, and we will be looking specifically this morning at Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21, or at the first part of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, which comes not surprisingly following the event of Pentecost itself. And Pentecost, as I shared with you all last week, was actually the New Testament name of the Jewish festival, the Feast of Weeks, which was a very well-attended Jewish festival church that took place 50 days after Passover was over, where Jews from all over the Greco-Roman world would come together in Jerusalem in order to celebrate this festival. And it was during this festival that Jesus' disciples, seemingly the 120 mentioned back in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, that they were together in one place, seemingly in the same upper, upper room that was mentioned back in Acts chapter 1, verse 13, when suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. In essence, as one commentator put it, that this was the Spirit of God here, church, who came on them in power, to which, as we see then in verse 3, that divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, in essence, indicating here that the Spirit of God would now rest on and be given to each believer individually, to which, as we go on to see then in verse 4, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and that the promised gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ had spoken about, and that the prophet Joel had prophesied about, that that Holy Spirit here, church, had finally come. And Jesus, his disciples then, verse 4, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and that Jesus' disciples here, who had just received the gift of the promised Holy Spirit, and who were now filled with the Holy Spirit, for they then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, began to clearly and to understandably and to intelligibly speak in other known human languages here. Languages, church, that just moments earlier, before the Holy Spirit came on them and rested on them and filled them, that they did not know how to speak. To which a multitude of Jews then, Apparently, after hearing the sound, verse 2, that was like a mighty rushing wind, for they then showed up around the place where Jesus' disciples were located at this time. And verse 6, were bewildered, because, verse 6, each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and that each one in the crowd was hearing these disciples of Jesus Christ speak in that of their own native tongue. A crowd that was made up here, church, as we go on to see in verses 9 through 11, of Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And that this crowd here, church, for they were also hearing the disciples of Jesus Christ telling them in their own languages, verse 11, 
about the mighty works of God. And thus, verse 12, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Whereas others, church, verse 13, mocking said, or made fun of them and said that they are filled with new wine, or that they are drunk on new wine. Which is exactly where we are going to pick up in the text this morning. And which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. For it was always part of the sovereign plan of God to pour out His Spirit on all flesh, as made clear in the very Word of God. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. For it was always part of the sovereign plan of God to pour out His Spirit on all flesh, as made clear in the very Word of God. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God, which you can start doing today by opening that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 910, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Acts chapter 2 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 14 through 21, where Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even all my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, how comforting those words are this morning. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord of the Lord, they shall be saved. Father, prepare our hearts and our minds this morning to see, to hear, and to grasp 
the depth of your word. Open our minds this morning, Father, to be able to see and to receive exactly what you want us to take in. Father, I thank you for each one of the dear ones here this morning, your children that you have called to yourself, that you have brought here to Faith Bible Fellowship Church. What a great opportunity and a great day we have before us where we can worship and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord of all, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, let us not think that this is something that we cannot take serious this morning, but let us pay close attention to your word, to how we worship you this morning, Father. Give us the attention we need, the focus we need to take in your word this morning, a word that does not fade. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning as well as I try to deliver it the best that I can. But above all else, we pray, Father, that you be glorified this morning. Do this wonderful work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, the Holy Spirit gave the disciples of Jesus Christ the courage and the power needed to stand up and to speak the truth to the world. The Holy Spirit gave the disciples of Jesus Christ the courage and the power needed to stand up and to speak the truth to the world. Verses 14 through 16, which reads, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So as we open here in verse 14, we see that the apostle Peter, standing with the eleven, or in essence, standing up and acting as the spokesperson for Jesus' twelve apostles here, Verse 14, lifted up his voice and addressed them. The them here, church, referring to the crowd of people who were bewildered by the fact that all these Galileans somehow and some way were speaking to them in their own native languages and tongues. So much so that they were saying to one another in verse 12, for what does this mean? whereas others were mockingly saying in verse 13 that they are filled with new wine or that they are drunk on new wine. And thus the apostle Peter, for he then addresses this crowd here by initially saying to them in verse 14, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, being that the crowd here, church, as mentioned last week, was not only made up of Jews who were living in Jerusalem at this time, but also that of Jews who had made their way to Jerusalem at this time for the festival of Pentecost as well. And he, Peter, goes on to say to them in verse 14, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. 
Or as other translations put it, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words or listen carefully, all of you, and make no mistake about it. And what boldness from the Apostle Peter here and courage from the Apostle Peter here and conviction and bravery and fortitude and overall, what a complete 180 from the Apostle Peter here. Whereas as one commentator put it, that before Peter couldn't even stand up to the high priest Caiaphas's servant girl. And yet now, this apostle named Peter, for he's willing to stand up to that of the world. And he, Peter, does so by making clear to the crowd in verse 15 that these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Again, responding to the crowd's assumption that these Galileans who were speaking in the native tongues and in the native languages of the people who made up the crowd here, that they must have been drunk with wine. And the reason the Apostle Peter gives the crowd here in order to invalidate or to repudiate their assumption that these people were indeed drunk was verse 15 because it's only the third hour of the day, a.k.a. because it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. In essence, saying that it's just absolutely crazy to assume that all these Galileans who were speaking in all these different languages and tongues that they all would have been drunk on wine by 9 a.m. in the morning, especially since, as numerous commentators point out, that Jews at this time didn't even typically begin eating this early in the morning, let alone drink wine this early in the morning, let alone drink enough wine to get drunk this early in the morning. And thus on this day of Pentecost, when all these Galileans were able to speak in all these different languages and tongues that previously they did not know, only to then, church, declare to this crowd of people in their own languages and tongues the mighty works of God, for it most certainly wasn't because these disciples of Jesus Christ were filled with too much wine and were drunk here, but instead what the crowd was observing here was what the prophet Joel prophesied about and said would take place. However, before we get to the prophecy, verse 16, that was uttered through the prophet Joel, for I do want to pause here for a second, church, because I do think There is a very practical principle that we can observe and glean and personally implement from these verses here today, particularly concerning how we as Christians can connect and point unbelievers to Jesus Christ. And thus to summarize, Japheth Fernando here, For Peter began his speech by answering a real question that was being asked by the audience, that question being about the languages that they were hearing. And this is a pattern that we will see in every sermon in Acts, and that the evangelist will begin with something their audience can relate to. And often, just as we see here today, that launching pad, if you will, is a question that they receive. And thus, Fernando recommends that our evangelistic preaching also often should start with where people are at, also that they can identify with our message. And from there, we can take them to the basic message that we want to communicate to them. Therefore, finding out people's questions and then making a connection between their question and to the gospel is an art that we must develop. 
Now, it's all too common to hear Christians say today that I would share the gospel of Jesus Christ more with others, but I really just don't get the opportunities to be able to do so. Whereas people openly ask me about the resurrection of Jesus Christ or publicly question me about salvation through Jesus Christ or genuinely just want to know from me my thoughts on heaven and hell and sin and if I truly believe that people can be saved from their sins by Jesus Christ. And that's very practically speaking here, church. For if this then is any of you here today, i.e. someone who really does want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ more with others, but who is struggling at this time to find ways and avenues and opportunities to be able to do that, then lovingly, let me encourage you, brother Christian, sister Christian, to start with the unbelievers who you are interacting with on a regular and consistent basis. Those unbelievers being your friends and your family members, your co-workers and your loved ones, bosses and teachers, customers and clients, and any other unbeliever for that matter who you are interacting with on a consistent basis. And seek to minister to them, Christian, as Fernando just noted, by beginning with the questions, the issues, and the difficulties that they are already asking you about and dealing with in their very life. With their questions about their child getting cancer or their spouse losing their job. Or with their confusion about the death of a loved one or their son who has special needs. Or with their difficulty in understanding why their house burnt down, their car won't start, their family life stinks, or why everything in this world all seems to be going against them. For be willing to start with them there, Christian, and to hear their questions, listen to their concerns, and to faithfully seek to give them the time and the love and the counsel they need, no matter the questions that they may ask, only to then take them, Christian, to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than their child's cancer, greater than their confusion, and greater than their questions and sickness, broken down cars and family strife. In essence, make it your goal here, Christian, to consistently challenge yourself day by day, whether you are at work or at school, at the gym or maybe even at a family get-together of yours, to always be searching for ways to try to use the unbelievers' questions and confusion and quandaries that they are providentially bringing to you, Christian, as a bridge, if you will, to lead them, to point them, and ultimately to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Since even though this fallen and depraved and sinful world all around us has no idea what they ultimately need, for you do, Christian. And thus, because of that, for always, always, always be willing then, Christian, to take those questions of theirs to the ultimate answer, to the way, the truth, and the life, all so that they, Lord willing, can repent of their sin and place their faith in the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to point number two. It was the plan of God to pour out His Spirit on all types of people as foretold in the very Scriptures. It was the plan of God 
to pour out his spirit on all types of people as foretold in the very scriptures. Verses 17 through 21. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even all my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So again, keep in mind That Peter's response here, church, comes in light of the crowd saying to one another, as we saw back in verse 12, what does this mean? Referring here to the meaning of the phenomenon that they just witnessed on this day of Pentecost. And Peter, he begins to answer that question by saying in verse 16 that this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In essence, as we will go on to see in verses 17 through 21, that of the prophecy from the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, where the apostle Peter begins to cite that passage by initially saying in verse 17 that in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that in the last days, the last days which were seemingly inaugurated when Jesus Christ first came into this world and which will be consummated when Jesus Christ comes again, that in the last days, verse 17, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In essence, as Tony Merida explains it, for what the apostle Peter is making clear to the crowd here is that what they are witnessing at Pentecost is what the prophet Joel predicted, and that Joel foretold of this mighty downpour of the Holy Spirit on the Israelites, and how these blessings then would flow to people from every nation and every tribe. To which the apostle Peter then goes on to say to the crowd in verses 17 and 18, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even all my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Which is a text here, church, that seems to recall, or that seems to echo, if you will, that of Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 29, which reads, When Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. But now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, And the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, 
but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And the young men ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Or as the NIV puts it, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. To which again, as Tony Morita notes, amazingly, the very thing for which Moses had longed for, and about which the prophet Joel had prophesied, has arrived with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. However, in pointing out that all God's servants will prophesy, for Peter is not saying that every believer has the gift of prophecy, but instead what he means is that every believer now shares in the general privilege and responsibility of the Old Testament prophets. Such people who were able to know God intimately and who were commissioned to speak God's word faithfully and who came to know him mainly through dreams and visions. Now, we know him through Jesus Christ, and we can grow in our knowledge of him through the revealed word of God. But still, like the prophets, we must declare God's word to the world, since that is our mission. To which, as we see then in verses 19 and 20, that the apostle Peter then goes on to cite the prophet Joel by saying, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And although there are a lot of opinions out there today and nuance here, church, concerning what exactly these verses are referring to, For I humbly tend to side with the scholarship out there today that believes that verses 19 and 20 overall are making reference to the end of the age or to the end of the last days and to the cosmic signs and disturbances that will usher in or signal, if you will, verse 20, the day of the Lord or the great and magnificent day when Jesus Christ comes again. And yet the apostle Peter here, church, for he does not stop there but instead goes on to cite the prophet Joel once more in verse 21 by saying that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To which a scholar, John Paul Hill, notes that although the audience would have thought that the God of Israel, Yahweh, is meant here by the name of the Lord, For the Apostle Peter, the name of the Lord that saves is Jesus Christ. And he, Peter, will make that abundantly clear throughout the rest of his sermon here in Acts chapter 2. Nevertheless, as we begin to wrap up point number two this morning, church, for I just want to share that if any of you here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, are struggling at this time with the assurance of your salvation, or are struggling at this time to believe that the God of the universe could really save a wretch like you, even from those past sins of yours that still keep you up at night, 
or even from those past sins of yours that still pierce your mind out of the blue, or even from those past sins of yours that still cause your heart to ache, your stomach to churn, and for agonizing shame to still run throughout every fiber of your body, then let this verse, brother Christian, sister Christian, be a balm to your soul here this morning, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I know that many of you still may be sitting there this morning thinking to yourself at this time, but what if I acted a fool once and cheated on my wife, Pastor Wes? Or what if I got pregnant in high school and had an abortion, Pastor Wes? Or what if I stole money from my workplace, sold drugs when I was younger, got pregnant out of wedlock, was arrested and went to jail, abused my wife and my children, was addicted to that of pornography, was a drunkard, reviler, swindler, and wrongdoer, and in all honesty, even tried to take my own life once. For what then would you say about that, Pastor Wes? And I would still say to you this morning, Christian, that if you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Because the text here, Christian, the breathed out word of God here, Christian, still says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not everyone except the drunkard shall be saved. Not everyone except the adulterer shall be saved. Not everyone except the porn watcher, murderer, swindler, drug dealer, or reviler shall be saved. But instead, the text simply says that everyone, Christian, no matter their past sins, their past crimes, their past pains or their past ways of life, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, no matter how big, how bad, or how painful any of those past sins of theirs might be, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, For I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first. And similarly share with you at this time, non-Christian, that it does not matter then how many sins you have committed in your past or how bad those sins of yours were that you committed in your past or how unforgivable you think those sins are that you committed in your past because if at this time, non-Christian, You call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And I say that because Jesus Christ, he came into this world non-Christian as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save the children of God from their very sins. And he did that non-Christian by initially living a life here on earth that was free from any kind of sin. And that the life that Jesus Christ lived while he lived and dwelt among us was a life that was holy and righteous and just and good. Free from any kind of evil or wickedness, transgressions or sins. And thus because of that, he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, and he did it, non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, that was not all, non-Christian, that Jesus Christ accomplished here on earth for the very children of God. And I say that because being that the wage of their sin or the cost of their sin is that of death, Romans 6.23 
For he, Jesus Christ, also then took their sins upon himself and willingly then bore the wrath that they deserve for their very sins by being nailed to and crucified, killed and crushed on an old rugged cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute, even though he himself never, ever sinned. And in doing so, satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of all that, for this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ then, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today. For as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I'd like to do so by starting with verse 21, which again reads, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And again, please, please, please keep the the context of all of this in mind here, church, that these words from the apostle Peter And that this sermon as a whole from the Apostle Peter, that they all came right after the disciples of Jesus Christ were given the gift of the Holy Spirit and were filled with the Holy Spirit and were given the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to clearly and to understandably and to intelligibly speak in other known human languages here. And yet the Apostle Peter as the late R.C. Sproul points out, for he was not concerned about the meaning of the tongue speaking here, but instead he was concerned about the significance and redemptive history of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the whole community. And he, Peter, went on to proclaim, as we will see over the next couple weeks, church, about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And there were 3,000 on that day whose hearts were moved by the word of God and who put their trust in Jesus Christ. And yet there are a lot of churches out there today that are excited about the Holy Spirit, and that is fine, but the danger of that is to misunderstand the mission of the Holy Spirit, since the Holy Spirit always points beyond himself to Jesus Christ. And thus, if you claim that you are a Spirit-filled church but do not focus on the ministry of Jesus Christ, then you are not a spirit-filled church, for it is just that simple. Since the Holy Spirit was sent to empower the church to bear witness to Jesus Christ, and thus on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out without measure, and the focus was on Jesus Christ. 
for a Holy Spirit-filled church then, quite simply, isn't a church that is only worried about captivating people's feelings with loud music and bright lights, nor it is a church that is only focused on whipping people up into emotional frenzies by singing songs with only seven words and repeating them over and over and over again 11 times. Nor even is it a church that is only trying to give their congregants that psychological tingling sensation by promising them that of health, wealth, and prosperity, but only if they put a bit more money into the offering plate. But instead, a truly Holy Spirit-filled church is a church Christian that is focused on faithfully bearing witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus, in light of all that, for my loving appeal then to you all here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, as those who now have the Spirit of God abiding in them and dwelling in them, is not to quench that Spirit Christian or to grieve that spirit Christian, or to resist that spirit Christian, but to instead yield to that spirit Christian and be empowered by that Holy Spirit Christian so that you can faithfully then, Christian, seek to bear witness to Jesus Christ in all that you do by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the mighty works of Jesus Christ, submitting to the commandments of Jesus Christ, following the humble example of Jesus Christ, and by trying to imitate the love of Jesus Christ as you seek to love your neighbor as yourself. Since our goal here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church isn't to build up our own brand here, church, nor to highlight that of our own giftings here, church, nor to make known to the world that of our own name here, church, but instead our goal here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church by the power of the Holy Spirit is to faithfully bear witness to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to that of the world here, church. And please, please, please do not ever, ever forget that. I said, it's my prayer that we as a church body be willing to die to self, to yield to the Spirit, and to seek to make Jesus Christ known. Therefore, help us, Father, to not quench the Spirit, grieve the Spirit, or rebel against the Spirit, but to instead seek to faithfully walk in the Spirit, all so that we may decrease, and so that your Son, Jesus Christ, may increase. Forgive us the grace we need, Father, as a church body, to humbly yield together to your Holy Spirit, Also, that we can faithfully then, day by day, week by week, and year by year, in word and in deed, bear witness to your Son, Jesus Christ, to this world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us as a church body. I pray to be willing to walk in the Spirit and by doing so to bear witness faithfully to Jesus Christ. Lord, it must be our goal for us as members here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church to decrease and for your Son, Jesus Christ, to increase Since Jesus Christ, he died for the church. He is the head of the church. He is sanctifying the church, and he will come again for his bride, the church. Thus, Jesus Christ, then, in all that we do as a church body, must be proclaimed. 
Father, I pray that you humble all of us to be willing to die to self. Any ego that we may have, strip it of us, I pray, so that we may seek in all that we do to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and to yield to the Spirit so that we highlight the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the fact that Jesus Christ will come again to this world. For he is our Lord, and he is the Savior of this world. Thus, in all that we do, Father, help us to proclaim that message to this world. In Jesus' name, amen.